Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about value and all it takes to create, preserve, and sell, and price it. Today, I have got um, one of the more meaningful friends in my life and career, uh, an old friend, and um, somebody who's been more influential on my life and career than he acknowledges or that he perhaps even knows. Steve Sundberg, welcome. Thank you, Mark. It's uh, uh, I'm humbled to hear hear your introduction. Yeah, uh, Steve and I go back probably about 25, 28 years. Um, he was a sales leader at uh, a company we both worked at, W.L. Gore and Associates. I'll say it now because we'll probably bring it out later. Um, it was a pivotal time for me, and in talking with Steve, it was a great learning experience for both of us. And Absolutely. Steve has gone on to, to start and own a variety of other businesses, uh, be a, a general manager at, at divisions at some pretty big conglomerate companies. So he's uh, gone on to corporate leadership, but always understanding the sales role really well. So Steve, welcome. Thank you. Yeah, those were... Uh... Those were some good days in our career, that's for sure. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it turns out that uh, I could not have asked for a better springboard to a life's uh, professional journey. I agree. I, I think if we look at uh, some of the you know, successful leaders um, of, of small, mid-sized companies, right? Not the, not the Fortune 500s, because that wasn't ever the the philosophy that we were trained under. It was always about effective small team leadership. I bet there's a lot of folks that came out of that company. Yeah, I'm sure there are. Um, and one of the things, you know, as, as I progressed in my product management and then sales, sales leadership, uh, and then doing a sales consulting, I've run across hundreds of sales organizations. And I can count on one hand the number of sales organizations that are that are as good as that sales organization was at Gore at understanding customer value. Yeah, you know, and I think uh, I, I agree. It's one of the uh, one of the issues anywhere that I've been subsequently that it it really folks, and I mean smart people, really want to drive you fast to a cost plus kind of approach to pricing. And, and that's an, I think that's an easy way and it's a safe way and you get to understand what your profitability should be, you know, before you uh, even engage in the process and in the quote. But I don't think you get to understand if you're really delivering what the customer needs, what the customer's really hoping to get, unless you're exploring for the ways that your solution adds 
I'll use the term adds value uh, to to their uh, their application, right? Um, I think you say this, and you know, I certainly do that. the The value price is really what the how the customer sees it. We don't. And we can talk all day long about what we think the value is, but it's really, does the customer uh, see it that way? Does the customer agree to it? Yeah. And you don't get there unless you're really taking the time to ask the questions. Now, my apologies to, to anybody uh, listening that's involved in transactional kinds of relationships, right? Or transactional situations i think what you and i are really talking about are those you know complex sales right that have multiple decision makers and multiple uh, you know it's 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 and, and transactional sales are great that's a whole different category though of of what we're talking about i think no i, I think you're right um and you know th thanks for for that caveat with with everybody with our listeners most of my listeners are involved in that multi-person sale i would i would think um, yeah. and a, a lot of them are involved in something where they know they're differentiated and, and there's a but there's a good chunk who operate in so-called commodities like steel or paper or uh, i sold money i was in, yeah com i was in commercial real estate lending yeah. so um i ask any professor if there's anything more commodity than money and I'll bet yeah. you you'll get crickets. Yeah. But it's not that it's a commodity because I sold money at a price premium. I sold wire and cable at a price premium. Right. I help clients selling telecom services at a price premium. So I am just about the last person on the in the galaxy that you can come that you can convince that there is such a thing as a, a commodity a true commodity some of those can be sold transactionally but there's a lot of them when the dollar amount is high enough or the stakes are high enough um, where you have to start selling using salespeople rather than order takers uh, yeah. or inside sales or marketing or click to buy yeah. Uh, as soon as you have to involve a human being, um, those human beings had better understand the customer. And I, especially right now, I know we're recording this right kind of as we're thinking about coming out of uh, COVID quarantine uh, lockdown. And I think that sales leaders and you know, company leaders are worried about how their customers have changed, how their market has changed. And if you, as a salesperson, just go in with the same talking points that you went in before um you're gonna probably see, have a disappointing year yeah you know and that's interesting i uh, had a call so so the company um, i'm ceo of a uh, contract manufacturer manufacturing uh, medical devices surgical instruments and implants primarily for the orthopedic industry. And contract manufacturing, you know, certainly um, there's a model that drives you towards that, um, 
almost commodity, right? We're going to send you the bid package and we want you to bid and tell us your lead times. And it's very, and, and we don't do that. We don't engage that way. We don't engage. If the customer just needs a, a price and delivery, you know, we're just not the right people for them. And when I have those conversations with our sales team, they're, they're finally starting to, uh, you know, after six years, they, they understand that. But there was a time when, um, when I first arrived where it was really a churn and burn of your quotes. It wasn't taking the time to, you know, should we even be quoting this at all? Is this business that we want to take up capacity with when we can find those opportunities where we bring more value? You talk about price premium, and I, I get it, but you only get the price premium if your customer is excited about the totality of the offering you're bringing, right? So it really is that value. You're, you're bringing them value. Yeah, that's, uh, thank you, Steve. You're absolutely right. I talk about price premium because that's the, that's kind of the finish line that shows, that shows everybody inside your company and your customer that you did everything else right and understanding their business and brought, brought the value because, uh, you only get a price premium in the long term um, voluntarily from your customer. Customers only pay a a price premium voluntarily uh, in the long term. Sometimes right. you can get you can get a brief spike, but um, that usually is a spike plus some resentment cost. Right, and <laughs> even in those situations, then you have to ask yourself: Is that what I want to do? You know, opportunistic pricing. Yeah. Um, sometimes that absolutely right thing to do. Is it what you're doing with your biggest, you know, deepest relationships? Maybe not, because is that is that a you know, really a, a, a longer term uh, way to play it. And so I, I guess what I'm babbling about, Mark, is that value is so um, complicated to, it, it's a long-term proposition, Yeah. right? I don't mean to make it, say it's complicated, but it's a long-term proposition and it's over a series of, of uh transactions if if you want to have a two-year five-year ten-year relationship with with that customer that company yeah you know you said you used the word complicated and i agree and disagree both Um, yeah that's why i backed off quick (laughs) it my definition of value is a little bit of a complicated definition um uh, michael porter the famous harvard business professor uh, said value is what your customer is willing to pay. And that's that's a decent enough definition, but value, uh, your customers don't buy your product or service. They buy their own outcomes for their own reason. And so value go. is the desirability of the outcomes your product or service delivers. And so that's a little bit more complicated definition, but once you have that, you wrap your head around that, now, the complexity of what it takes for a customer to realize their outcomes, to understand their outcomes, to value those outcomes, um, to desire them, that can be pretty complicated. But 
so I agree with you that it, it that there's a lot that goes into it, but when you understand that that's all value is, and when you understand that the only purpose of a company is to provide more company or customer value than it costs the company to deliver. Sure. Um, that complexity of getting to value becomes pretty simple because that's the only thing we're supposed to be doing. And um, I've, I've had, I, I would love to get your reaction to this in as a CEO, as an organizational leader, we often as leaders, as business leaders, complicate things. We collect a lot of metrics, oh a gosh. lot of stuff. And if we look back that the, the purpose of our business is to provide more value at a, and do it at a lower cost than, it, you know, provide more value than it costs us to deliver. Tell me what metrics you have that track that. Tell me, yeah. are your metrics in alignment with that? And the metrics that you have that aren't, what do you actually do with those other metrics, those metrics outside the core mission and how important are they? Yeah. And I'm willing to buy that we still need them, but um, if that's our prime directive, tell me, tell me about the metrics that you're tracking that track how well you're providing value and how well you're pricing the value. Yeah. And I, uh, I'll sit here before you and say, boy, I've got to uh, hang up the phone and go to my KPI board because I bet I've got a lot of work to do, Mark. Uh, and, I, and I know your next line. Well, I'm glad I brought some value to you, Mr. Sundberg. I can help you out. For... <laughs> and good for you. But no, your point is... <laughs> Actually, I, I can help you, but I know that you can... You, once I've turned that light bulb on, you can look at your KPIs and you can do most of it yourself. And you can make really great judgments about which ones that aren't value related and which ones you need anyway, because yeah. um, there's lots of things you have to manage that are one or two generation removed from that. And you, you as the leader can, can figure that out. But some KPIs we track not because they deliver value, but because they make the business easier to manage. Well, that that's true, and that's, it, that's not yeah. That's neither good nor bad, but we just have to yeah. recognize that it doesn't add value to our employees or our customers, but it's just making our management job easier, yeah. and we should prioritize them accordingly. For for us, it's in in my situation, it's it's pretty easy because um, I know what my investors. Uh, are looking to do right so i know that my job is to uh create more value for my investors and 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 it's pretty clear in private equity world how companies are evaluated you know it's a multiple of it's a multiple of earnings so okay what are those things that um drive earnings to begin with but also then there's this opportunity to get a premium let's say another one or two times uh you know they the phrase is let's get an extra turn or an extra two turns well i know that if if you're coming in to buy my company you're going to look at my management team and understand are they 
a cohesive unit, do they have the up uh, the opportunity and the ability to continue with the growth strategy, you know, or is this a situation where it's a one man band, the guy that's the CEO is, you know, doing everything. You know me well enough to know that that's not the case here. I'm, I'm not smart enough or have enough energy, but I do depend on a management team. You've got to build that out. What's the stickiness with the customers? And then what, you know, that's something that creates value for my company is this customer stickiness. Okay, that drives us to talk about what, why do our customers choose us when there are so many people that do what we do? And the way that we start to dig into that is through our surveys and, and through our multiple touch points. I call them listening posts. You know, anytime a customer gives us a, a feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, email, phone call, uh, uh, a response to something on, on LinkedIn, uh, stopping by the trade show booth and making a comment. And I'm not talking about a formal survey response. I'm talking about any kind of comment that speaks to performance, how we're performing. We capture that and, and, and uh, categorize things and talk about them, right, as a group. We want to know uh, that customer A, we consistently hear from them that it's our ability to help them manage their, their schedules. In other words, they, they think as an organization, they create a lot of confusion internally about you know, changing schedules around and uh, that we help them kind of minimize the confusion, right? They're that so, kind of customer. Pardon me? Yeah, they're that kind of customer, but they know, <laughs> yeah. that, but they know that about themselves. Uh, yeah, and they're they, wonderful. They, val they, value, uh, they value somebody who can um, help them work around that aspect of how they manage and do and perceive their business. And other customers have different, different things that, you know, they uh, appreciate us for, which is just really another way to say that, that they value us for. And, but we have to know that and we have to keep testing it because it changes over time. And something that you said earlier around as we're coming out of this time of COVID, I hope we're coming out of this time of COVID. What, what's that going to look like on the other side? You know, how has uh, customer needs, how have customer needs changed? You and know, we've got to keep asking those questions. Yeah, that, that's something that's really interesting. You, uh, I was going to talk a, a little bit about that term listening post because I'm, um, I'm maniacal. I'm relentless about encouraging leaders to get everybody who touches the customer not right. to stay in your lane not to shut up and do your job and let sales do theirs but to listen capture that feedback and bring it back to the hive right and so we could have a great conversation about that but uh when we combine by, by the way i think i think what you just described is um a core 
should be a core competency of any organization that's in business to business. Uh, that has to be, um, and it's, you know, it can be $100,000 platforms in, you know, automated systems and all that. I have none of that, by the way. I still do it the old fashioned way. We teach people how to have conversations. Yeah, you know, we, we actually had a conversation about this uh, a little while back. And you said, you know, you, you're not buying the, the great technology tools. But here's my perception. I've talked to some people who are experts in that customer experience world. And I've uh, developed my own uh, classification of customer experience levels. There's level zero, which is just kind of what everybody does without thinking. Level one is we tell everybody who touches the customer, please don't be the wink link. Don't screw something up so bad that the customer leaves. Just, you know, play do not. Do no harm. Right? Do no harm. Play, play not to lose. Uh, level two customer experience is we empower people to delight the customer, usually within the scope of their job role. We tell customer experience, you know, our customer service people, you have the authorization to give a, up to a $50. Uh, I'm sorry for screwing up your invoice credit or, you know, something yeah. like that. So it's, uh, we empower them within the scope of what they do, but it's delight the customer. And you know, we train them in conflict resolution and delivering bad news effectively. And that is the state of the art in customer experience management today. If you look at the, look at everybody. And I preach for a level three customer experience, which is, is I'm, I'm gonna puff you up a little bit here, but that's what you do. Level three customer experience isn't just everybody who touches the customer is empowered to delight, but everybody who touches the customer is required to understand value and bring insights into customer value back to the hive. Because that's when you actually are closing loops that allow you to innovate, to develop your, your product, and in this post-COVID world, to understand how the customer's world has changed and what we've got to, and figure out what we've got to do about it. When you have, I, you know, I have clients that have 15 different roles who regularly touch the customer. Wow. And three wow. of them have sales titles. Okay. <laughs> right. I'd like to have that budget. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there's demo specialists and bid specialists and inside sales and, out, and there's inside sales, outside sales, hunters, farmers, uh, but then there's um, installation, there's client success, project management, three layers of tech support, technical sales engineers, um, accounts payable, finance, legal, da, 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 right? And when it's 15 and only three of them are allowed to talk about value and 13 of them, 12 of them, we say, you know, shut up and stay in your lane just to like the customer there are 13 listening posts. There are 13 forward observers that you have not given a radio to. They're yeah. seeing things, but you tell them, shut up and keep it to yourself. Just do your job. Yeah. And that's, um, that's Those right. are missed opportunities. Yeah. And, 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 and I apologize to whoever created the term listening post. It's one I stole, I'm sure. But I, I, I sure think it's, you know, that in in concert with um, customer-focused teams, which are um, 
no, you know, no rocket science here. In our case, how we deploy customer focus teams is just around cross-functional. In, in our case, it's quality engineers, it's um, manufacturing engineers, it's our design people, our salespeople are in, um, in our customer care uh, person. And that team is accountable for our performance at that customer. And I, you know, we don't care who has the conversations. We don't care who, um, you know, who's quality talking to quality. That's what it's designed for. But sometimes the design engineer at the customer wants to talk to the quality engineer at our place because he wants to know if he, the concept that he has in mind, is it something that can be inspected properly? We, we're involved in very tight tolerance, high precision kinds of instruments. Um, you know, if, if your concept is that, well, everything's got to go through your salesperson, that's, that's not helping the customer. That's not bringing value to the customer. So, no, I, um, so, I want to reassure you that what you do and how you're doing it is actually the highest level of customer experience and customer management. I didn't say um, we're doing it well, Mark, but it's, <laughs> it's no, we're, we're. Yeah. But imagine you backed off and just told all those other people just delight the customer. Yeah. How much more poorly would your company perform? How much lower would you have to manage your investor expectations if you didn't have that customer focus team idea implemented regardless of how well you do it i mean well i can't i can't imagine that what what the world would look like if you're not trying to as a as an entry point delight the customer every day i mean that should be your baseline ticket to the game and and delighting the customer doesn't mean doing everything they they say the customer's always right. The customers don't want to be always right. That's why they've got us. They, they you know, they don't know all the answers. They want to. They, they want input. They want uh, options and to understand cause and effect of different choices that they're going to make. Um, you know, if so. So I think delighting the customer has to be just in your fabric. We don't, we don't always, I mean, and our, our survey scores tell us that we do pretty well, but they also tell us we've got room to improve in that area. Cause that's, you know, we, we ask customers routinely, um, you know, would they recommend us with, you know, uh, the, just a basic, the net promotion approach, right? No, that that's uh, I and I love that. You know, the customer doesn't always have to be right. That's why they have us. Yeah, that that's a that's a deceptively brilliant insight, Steve. And well, you know, I'm 61 years old, Mark. So it's something had to get get there once after a little while. So say, yeah, I usually I usually tell people I have to have a good idea at least once a month. And <laughs> Thank goodness I had it by the 20th because the pressure just gets too much. I, I can't sleep. I can't, I can't eat too much. That's right. So you were talking earlier on that um, 
you, you initially had a struggle uh, getting your salespeople off of just responding mindlessly to RFPs and to understand the value. How tough was that? Well, um, I mean, luckily well, you've got a let me just let me just open come on and embarrassed to tell you that um, when when I got to my current seat in 2014, um, the investors had just had just um, quickly over the previous 18 months put four entrepreneurial kinds of run um machining you know machine shops almost uh in place and it was a case where former owners really had the relationships and felt that they were the salespeople. there were no there was not a sales organization when you and i were together in our past life you and i were part of a, a sales organization in our division at that time i don't you know, it's been many, many years. I don't know what they are today. But um, when I had the privilege of leading that uh, global team, it was, a, it was a little over 150 people. That was salespeople, application engineers, customer service, uh, you know, customer care folks. So <laughs> imagine, you know, how shocked you <laughs> show up and there's there's just no salespeople. And it's like, well, it, to the point, Mark, where in one of my first meetings with what I thought was going to be the leadership team, it was, I, and I was asking, well, okay, how do we, how do we engage with the customer? How, who's responding? I don't care. Don't call them a salesperson. I don't care what they're called, right? I just want to understand it. And it was, well, the, the customer calls us and they know that they can call me anytime. They, they know they can call me at seven o'clock at night and I'll answer. Well, that's great. <laughs> but <laughs> uh, how many air miles did you fly last year going to see a customer, right? I, I don't do that very often. And it's... Huh. It was, uh, so you ask how tough it was. First, it was tough just asking myself, am I looking at this the right way? Maybe I'm about to learn a, a, an amazing new uh, model for growing a business. You don't have to go see the customer and you don't have to call them because they'll call you. I was excited. Maybe this is going to be something new. Um, we quickly got to work on, you know, changing the, our approach, the commercial side of the business. Huh. Fair, that's so, fair. yeah, it was, uh, but people, it was, it, you know, the people weren't, didn't push back on it. It just took me time to, to really try and figure out what, what was I seeing because they were successful companies. Yeah. It wasn't that they were, you know, uh, Turnaround project. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was not a turnaround. Thank you. That's exactly the word I was struggling to find. It was not a turnaround situation at all. Huh. Um, they were very successful and had great relationships just with very few customers and, um, you know, didn't understand really what they had. I remember as, as a youngster, 
um, calling, and Mark, remember, you know, in our day, you had to pull up to the payphone, right? Yeah. And it's pouring rain. Uh, and I was actually, actually uh, in Michigan, your neck of the woods. Um, rookie sales guy, pouring rain, rolled down the window far enough so I can, you know, make the long distance phone call back to the factory. I'm excited. I've just had a, a really good meeting with the customer. I've under, I've got their specifications defined and I, the customer wants me to get back to them with pricing. So I call back to the, to the product specialist, the product manager, <laughs> all of you guys were a bunch of knuckleheads, by the way. Yes. Right. I, I call back and I say, I need to put a quote together. How much is a thousand feet? You know, what's the price for a thousand feet? And the response I got was, well, how much do you think you can get for it? And I said, I, I have no idea what you're talking about, basically. What? And what do you mean? How much can I get? For, how much is, what's the price? Well, what's the customer willing to pay? I, I don't know. That's why I need to give him a quote. We'll, you know, we'll have that expert. And he says, well, why does he want to buy your, our product? Why does he want to buy what, what you're going to sell him? Well, because he has a need and yeah, but why does he want to buy your product? I finally got so frustrated and he got so frustrated. He hung up on me, by the way. Basically, he, before he hung up, he said, go get those answers and we'll talk about what the price can be. <laughs> I, and uh, my and I, today I would have, you know, continued to drive east and gone and smacked him in the nose. But then as a 22-year-old salesperson, I'm going what in the world is this about what just happened yeah yeah but it's really how he was teaching me dummy you, you, you have delivered no value to that customer no when when it, i don't know if it was the same product specialist but when they were teach when a product specialist at uh barksdale no barksdale um there's a gmca is what yeah, that was barksdale yeah well, I was sitting in the desk. It was like my first month and I was like my first trip back East. And uh, I was sitting at a desk with a product specialist and a salesperson called in and said, I need price and delivery for, you know, 50 of these or whatever. Yeah. And the product specialist said, well, what's the value? And the salesperson said, I don't know yet. And it, as a teaching moment to me, I recognized later, he said, well, then why are you calling me? Don't call me back until you know. And he slammed the phone down. Yeah. <laughs> and my not, eyes were it was probably not the same. It was not <laughs> the same guy, but certainly cut from the same cloth, Mark. Right? That's where, because yeah. that, that's what we do here. And um, I, I'm sure that was a, it was not for the salesperson's benefit, clearly, but it was probably for mine. Uh, making sure that I got the culture, that this is who we are, what we do. And um, it was a shocker. Yeah, and but but when you think but about it, what's so the better? Yes. What's the better outcome for the customer? For me to have just given him a a quote, I did what he asked. Give me a quote for a thousand feet. Okay, I've done that. Or is the better outcome to say, you know, I I understand what you're looking for is a price. 
let's talk about how are you going to use the product? What are your expectations for the performance? Because I want to make sure I get the right product designed. And, and what's that going to do for you today? What's it going to do for you a year from now? You know, if we hit this right, what are those things, right? Yeah. All that exploration. And um, customers really, if, if the person asking the questions isn't a robot and isn't, you know, just saying, uh, going down their list, but I mean, if it's really a true exploration of needs, I think they look for that. And I think, uh, I think customers appreciate that. Absolutely. I, um, <laughs> and, and they get the better outcome. Absolutely. Now, maybe in return, we also got a price premium, maybe, but for sure, the customer got a better outcome. Absolutely. They, they got what fit their needs much better. Um, that was the thing that company made semi-custom products. So uh, when they asked for something, very seldom did the first request, was the first request exactly the best thing for them. Right. And again, that's why they needed us. The customer wasn't always right. That's why we were there. We were the domain so, experts. Right. And so, but, but this is why the work that, that you're doing in helping organizations, I was almost going to say sales organizations, but organizations in total understand value and value exploration is so critical because now fast forward 25 or 30 years since um, I've been at that company. I'm, I'm now with a, you know, contract manufacturer. That's what I've spent the last, uh, 18 years, I guess, in contract manufacturing for medical devices. We're not leading from technology like we were where you and I started our careers. You know, we, we were technology leaders in those days. And so technology, uh, you know, we could, with some, some good work, deliver uh, performance that nobody else could in the, in the product itself, right? Here, in contract manufacturing, it's still important to have those, those conversations with your customer. It's not about the product being something that performs so much better. It's really about understanding um, you help them get there a different way, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You're helping them get there in the design of the product, the design inputs of the product that they own and that they're designing. It's not us designing a, a you know, a product and saying, here, do you want to buy this? Right? Yeah. You're selling our services. My point is, it doesn't matter what your deliverable is, you know, what you're getting invoiced for. Uh, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, it, it was nice to to work at that place because it was kind of the gross, rough lesson that was easy to learn, but you had to learn a ton about customer value and and uh, what problems do we solve. And then as I went went to other places where the the differentiation had to not be in terms of your technology, uh, your technology leadership, you had to lead in other things. Right, exactly. And to have to only be a one-trick pony where you can only sell when you're a technology leader is one thing, but to be able to understand the customer's business and to harvest that 
experience and that expertise, that skill set to be able to say, when my differentiation is smaller, how can I still make it decisive and delightful for my customer? Right, right. And so I've never led an organization that is the lowest cost producer. That's a differentiation. Um, I've, I've led sales organizations where they were technology leaders. I'm, you know, but I've spent the last 18 years being in a situation where the differentiation has to be in how we engage the customer. Uh, I love your term, delight the customer. It's one I don't use often enough internally. Um, it has to be around that, you know, helping the customer understanding what the customer's needs are before they even know they need them is a yeah. big deal for us. That's, uh, and actually I like that terminology better than delight because delight just seems um, so nonspecific and um, Apple. Yeah, but you know it when you see it. Yep, absolutely. Well, Steve, this is, uh, we could keep going, but we have gone quite a, quite a ways and um, you and I could talk a lot about this stuff, but let's, uh, maybe call it here. If if you have, if anybody wants to call you, uh, do you do you want to give your contact information? How they can reach out to you? Um, sure. Um, they can reach me at s sundberg s u n d b e r g at medtork m e d t o r q u e dot com and. Uh, I'm happy to engage at any time. That's great, Steve. Thank you so much. Uh, great conversation where we talked about uh, leading your entire organization towards the client, uh, towards customer value, and um, the fact that you can get an entire sales organization focused on that. It's, it's not an unachievable goal, um, as so many sales leaders that I've run into um, thought it was just too far a stretch, but um, my work with you shows me that it wasn't. And yeah. so thank you for that. I appreciate it. You're very kind and um, I'm happy uh, things are going so well for you, Mark. No, thanks, Steve. Uh, so thanks everybody for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where value is all in your customer's mind, which means that your success is all in your customer's head. Thanks and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy, cause value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're gonna drive both of you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues, cause you'll be singing those old, don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.